0: You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I wasn't sure what he was going to tell on me, so I got a little nervous. I don't think I've spoken since last Mother's Day. Many of you know I retired last May, and I have become a couch potato. (laughs) <laughs> and Chris keeps bugging me about, when are you going to speak again? And I just kept saying, leave me alone, I'm retired. So anyway, I told him I would speak Mother's Day. And I love it that um, a lot of the worship songs were around rain and, um, you know, um, just, you know, spirit coming and rain and over the dry seasons, I guess that's what I was trying to say. Because what, what I kind of wanted to stress today is our response to famine So I thought that was interesting. I was like, ah, God, you're confirming what I was supposed to do because I really wanted to do this like typical Mother's Day message and talk about a woman. And I thought, oh, I'm going to look, I'm going to study Ruth and I'm going to talk about Ruth. That's going to be a good Mother's Day message. And I was going to highlight how it's yet another beautiful story of how God redeems it all and always takes everything full circle. But as I began to read the book of Ruth and as I started kind of looking at some other books about Ruth, God began talking to me about her father-in-law, Elimelech. And um, I just kind of began to wonder, why is it that this family needed their inheritance restored to begin with? And then I started to question, you know, do I respond like Ruth Do I trust God to redeem it all, even in impossible situations? Or are there times that I actually tend to respond more like a Limelech? Does anybody do that? You listen to a message on King David, and you start to be aware that there are times that you respond like a Saul. Or maybe the prodigal son, and then you see, "Mm, sometimes I'm the older brother. You know, and I think that's kind of what God was doing with me here. And Chris was just encouraging me. He said, you know, just speak on what is feeding you right now. And so that's what I'm going to try to do today. But, you know, there are so many stories in the Word of God that could have ended in um, tragedy, bitterness, death. But instead, give us a picture of a God who seeks out what is lost and restores what was forsaken. Isn't that good? And I want to look at uh, Romans just real quickly. This is chapter 15, uh, verse 4. And it says, for whatever things were written before, the, uh, before are written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So I just want us to go out of here with our hope elevated this morning. And I think the beginning of the year, Chris preached a message about God was doing a new thing. And I knew we were moving into this new time And if God is calling each and every one of us into a new time or a new place or what could be considered a new place within our hearts even, then the way we respond to that call is going to not only determine our character for our days here on the earth, but it's gonna determine our very destiny. And I want you to keep that in mind as we look at Elimelech and his response to that calling to a new place in his heart. Okay, so we're gonna look at the book of Ruth and I'm just going to read chapter 1 because I think we need a backdrop and a reminder of the story of Ruth. Because maybe sometimes it's been a little while since we've read it. So I'm going to read it real quick. I'm just going to start with it right from the very beginning. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Milan and Kilion. They were from Bethel, Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. One was named Orpah, and the other was Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Milan and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of the people by providing food for them, Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws prepared to return back to Bethlehem right. And with her two daughters-in-law, she left this place where they had been left living, and they set out on the road to take them back to the land of Judah. Now, most of you know the story. This is where Ruth decided, you know what? I'm going to tell my two daughter-in-laws, go back to your original homeland and marry among your people. But I'm going to return home to Judah. And um, Orpah agreed, and she returned to her people. But Ruth said, no. She said, I'm going to go with you. And if you'll skip over to verse 16, she says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and my God, your God where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And then if you skip down to verse 19, you know that she did go with her mother-in-law. And it says, the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. But when they arrived, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman explained, exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And she said, don't call me Naomi because I left. Um, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And then skip down to verse 22. It says, Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. All right, I felt like we needed to refresh our memory on this story of Ruth. But I want to go back to just where it starts. It says, in the beginning, it says, now, in, <laughs> now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a great Famine, And I want to start here because um, not only was this a time as if famine isn't bad enough, but this was a period in time that is marked by violence. It's marked by um, oppression, great bloodshed, and unbelievable lawlessness. And even if you go back one verse, um, the last verse of Judges right here, it says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone died. not everyone died (laughs) then let's go home (laughs) and everyone died (laughs) let me say that again it is Judges it's the book of Judges it's the last verse and everyone died (laughs) so I'm going to start fresh in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as he saw fit right everyone did what was right in his own eyes and, you know, the, the law of God meant little or nothing to even the people who were God's own people. I mean, these are people who, um, can, they say that they, they confess that they have a personal relationship with God, and yet they have become a law as unto themselves. And I felt like this was a period in time that we can somewhat relate to. Right? It feels like there's some similarities to today. And, you know, right in the middle of this chaos and all of this darkness, we find a father who is looking for a new time and a new place. So I want to talk about Elimelech a little bit because he's mentioned, like, this much. Right? <laughs> it's like, hmm, how are you going to talk about him? But, you know, Elimelech, if I'm saying it right, I was like, how can I talk about somebody? I can't even say his name. But Elimelech and his family are citizens of Bethlehem which is a small village within the boundaries of God's appointed inheritance for his people. And because of his anxiety, because of the suffering of this national drought, right? And probably even just the desire to elevate his family circumstances, he moves his family from Israel, which literally translates to promise of abundant life. And he moves them to Moab, which literally translates to darkness and despair. So to save his family, he moves them from a promise of abundant life to darkness and despair. And, I mean, I think he had really good intentions. He probably had this plan in his mind and his heart that he needed to make a move to save his family. But how many of us, when we experience stress, scary circumstances, We're tempted to step outside of the circle of God's promise in order to seek out problems or solutions to our problems on our own terms. Right? (laughs) And what ends up happening is we find emptiness and heartache instead of relief and fulfillment that we were searching for. I want to read uh, Proverbs real quick. This is uh, chapter 14. I brought my big Bible, Chris. (laughs) I get points. (laughs) Uh, 1412, it says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. So, So, um, I just want to reiterate that because of this famine, not only did he leave Bethlehem, which means house of bread, but he left the borders of Israel, which was the land of promise. He went looking for an answer, a new life, outside the boundaries of God's provision, outside of the inheritance, and it ended in his death. Okay, this time people died. Okay, he ended it, it ended in his death, and it ended in the death of his two sons. And if it hadn't been the, for the fact that God redeems it all, it would have ended in his family losing their inheritance. And um this in these days your inheritance was the worst thing that you could lose and um in this whole story of ruth is about ruth returning to the place of blessing and trusting god to provide a redeemer to redeem it all and most of you know the story she goes back she marries moab i mean boaz not moab she marries boaz and and boaz had to um Culturally, he had to qualify as her redeemer, and um, he does qualify as a redeemer. He's able to marry her, and through this, he not only is able to provide for her financially, but he provides for her an heir, which in turn restores this lost inheritance. And then we know she becomes the grandmother of King David, right, which is also the lineage of Jesus. Isn't that good? I love it. So I want to look at the way Elimelech responded to famine. How did he respond to needing a new place, a new time? And it was probably due to his lack of fulfillment. His lack or his his fear of growing hungry or his concern for becoming empty. Does that sound good? (laughs) So let me get a drink real quick. All right, thank y'all. So, I want to say this because since I retired, the, the question of fulfillment has popped up a few times. I mean, I came off of this 30, 32 years of a successful, um, just re- re- rewarding is the word I'm looking for, a rewarding career that kept me really busy but also gave me a lot of fulfillment in my life. And don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't miss it <laughs> at all. It's all I looked forward to for like two years, you know. And um, also, execution is like one of my top five strengths on, that, on the Strength Finder scale. And so I get a lot of fulfillment out of executing tasks you know, getting the job done, meeting a goal. And so I have always, I hear you talking about me over here. (laughs) I'm sure I'm not always fun to be around because I want to get the job done. So anyway, but I have to make sure always that that fulfillment for me is coming from being who I am and not from doing what it is that I do. And also, you know, I'm an an empty nester now. My my kids are grown. Um, Cody has a family of his own. My younger son Tristan flies all over the country for work, and so I just don't see them all the time. And you know, have and and oh, and I've had to learn to go from hero to zero and just like that. And any moms give me an amen. Really, I'm just kind of poking them. I just kind of be a meme. They're not really like that. I'm just taking advantage of being a poet. <laughs> up here but you know i don't having kids at home give you a lot of fulfillment or it can give you a lot of fulfillment and i don't want to move outside of god's plan for my life searching for the wrong kind of fulfillment so today i thought i'd talk to us about living a fulfilled life and i did a few little slides to kind of keep me on track but you can say calling call this living a ful- fulfilled life or living fulfilled so, a fulfilled life. And it starts out so easy and so basic, but we cannot skip over the obvious, which is to remember who you are. Right? I mean, we talk about identity agnosium in this culture. Right? <laughs> and it is the first subject broached in every ministry school. It is... The, our number one core value here, I mean, we never can stress enough the importance of living proper identity. And I want to look back at Elimelech again because his name means the Lord is my king. Yet his life became a contradiction to his name. I mean, I don't want to live my life in contradiction to my name. Now, my name, Terry, means harvester, which Honestly, I never liked, I'm like harvester, <laughs> and God had to really talk to me about the meaning of my name, and I don't want to live contradictory to that meaning, but more important, I don't want to live in contradiction to who he says I am, who he calls me to be, which is, is that me, it, which is, right, a daughter He calls me daughter, I'm a daughter of the king. So you're a son, you're a daughter of the king because God's not just a good God. He's not just a good father, he's the king. And um, have you ever thought about the royal family and, or even just any king, but you know, I kind of follow the royal family. I find them a little interesting, but um, think about a, a child who's born to a king. He just sees his kingly father as dad. Right, they probably do really normal father-son activities. They probably play baseball out in the courtyard. They probably play hide-and-seek, right? He just sees him as dad. But one day, as he grows and becomes more mature, he has a revelation that, wait, my dad's the king. And as he has that revelation, his perspective switches, and he has a new perspective of who his dad is. But then as he grows and he matures, He has another revelation of, oh, wait, if my dad's the king, what does that say about who I am? What does that say about me? And his perspective switches again about who he is. And um, what is, oh, if the king has all this land, right, he has territories, and what does he give to his children? He gives them his kingdom, Right, And last week, Dub said this about about the definition of kingdom, which that was a good message last week on the redemption of family. So good. But he brought this to our attention about the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is an extension of both the heart and authority of God from the unseen realm through you. So we have to capture the ways of the kingdom, and then we have to implement them into um, society through dominion. And, you know, when I'm feeling feelings of unfulfillment, I've got to remind myself who I am so that I can show up with authority over territories, with impacting and influencing atmospheres, and really with just living out my true design and my purpose. All right, so we need to remember who we are. Another thing that brings us a lot of fulfillment in life is when we focus on God And here's the thing about Elimelech, he could only see what the enemy was doing. He wasn't looking at what God was doing, what God had promised, or even what God was capable of doing. And he could only see the famine. And you know what you focus on grows? We've heard this a million times, what you focus on, and when you have a problem, especially if it's a fence, have you ever had, Julie talked about this, that self-talk where you're like, "Oh." To me, I'm going to say this. And you start talking up the problem or talking up the offense. And when you focus on something, not only does it begin to grow, but you give it power. You empower it, and then it begins to distort your reality. Look at Psalms 55. Let's see. Okay, Psalm 55. Oops, I lost it. All right, Psalm 55, this is verse 22. It says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. And cares are really just anything that distracts you from God. And um, you know, at this time right now, it is so important, probably in every time in history, but right now, it's so important that we are not prophesying what the enemy is doing over what God is doing on the earth. And I don't want to talk myself into moving outside of the inheritance of God, living a life not fully satisfied, not living a fulfilled life. And, you know, 2020 and 2021, we had all this language around. We knew that this was a time in our period that, the enemy was being exposed that all of this darkness was being revealed and even in 2020 we said oh this is a year of vision and we said we have to we knew that it was a time that god was telling us we needed to turn our focus on what he was doing on the earth and i remember one sunday i was standing up here and i was worshiping and i felt like i had a vision of god and he was sitting on the top of this mountain and he was motioning for me to come up to him. And I envisioned myself climbing up to the top of the mountain and sitting next to him and him putting his arm over me and looking out. And he was saying, you know, come up here because the view is so different. The perspective from up here is so different. And he began to point out at the valley, and he says, do you see it? Do you see what it is that I can see from up here? And I had this little sense of pride, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I see it. I can see the dark places. I can see where the the evil and darkness is hiding and how it's being exposed. And I felt like God in his little fatherly way kind of smirked and said, yeah. But look again. You know, he's like, can you see? Just even better than that, you can see the light. You can see where the light's shining even brighter. And you can see what it is that I am doing on the earth. And I just begin to hear, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with the glory. And I got really excited. You know, the glory is God's goodness, right? And Christ in you is the world's hope of experiencing the goodness of God. And it's the goodness of God that brings repentance to man. All right, is that good? All right, let's look at the next thing. Another thing that brings you fulfillment in your life is God's wisdom. All right, so, you know, in this time of famine and chaos, moving his family to Moab probably seemed like a really practical thing to do. But in fear, if we make a move in fear, some might say wisdom. But one thing's for sure is you are not moving any mountains. And sometimes God's ways seem so illogical, but really, aren't they just different? And um, what do we do when His ways and His promises don't really line up with our logic? That's when we need His wisdom. All right, so let's look at Isaiah. Y'all are quiet, so y'all can move every now and then. It's okay. I hear the I hear the rain coming in. Is all that singing about rain this morning. <laughs> Maybe it's because we're talking about responding to famine. Let's just have the rain come. All right, let's look at Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my what your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So are we trusting in God in our time of chaos or uncertainty? You know, are we living within the boundaries of our promise? Are we moving any mountains? Um, you know, we just we have to learn to align ourselves with God's thoughts and ways, not just for our growth as um, believers, but... For, the fulfillment, for our fulfillment as his children. I want to look at James real quick. James 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And, you know, we don't have any indication of God, um, of if a if sought God's opinion on his move. We don't know if he asked for wisdom but we sure didn't see him moving any mountains. And it's just so important that we ask God for his wisdom and we lay our own plans at his feet. And we should also be trusting God to fulfill his promises. And, um, you know, Scripture makes it so clear that um, when famine and dry times come, he makes it a priority. He makes it... His business to care for those who cast their hope on Him instead of rushing around trying to figure out their own solutions. And I heard a preacher say one time that it was illegal to have dry and barren seasons. That'll poke you a little bit because you're like, wait, how can that be when what I'm experiencing is contradictory to what I know to be true? Like, you know you're supposed to be living life abundant." But what you're experiencing right now looks like nothing like abundance. And you know that you know I'm supposed to be living a life with a body completely healed and whole, but what I'm experiencing right now is not the manifestation of healing in my life. Or you know that God has promised you that if you raise your child in the way of the Lord, he shall not depart from it. But what you're experiencing right now looks like your kid running as far from God as possible. Right? And while you might be experiencing dry times, and you might be experiencing barren situations, let's look at Jeremiah 17, verse 7. It says, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of doubt and never fails to bear fruit. So if drought is around you, your leaves will not wither because you're connected to the source that never runs dry. Am good? All right, let's look at Psalm 33, 18 it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. And then Psalm 37, 18 and 19, it says, The Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time and in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. I've been young and now I'm old and I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging for bread. Very good, love it. So it does appear though that Elimelech didn't trust God to fulfill his promises. And I wanna point out that Elimelech, he left during the famine, but his wife and daughter-in-law returned during the harvest season. So we know the harvest was coming, right? And so, but look at all the death that this family experienced because they, li- they were living outside the bounds of the promised land. And I also found it interesting that Naomi says that she left full. So she left during a famine, but she was full. And the last, very, uh, last verse says she returned during the barley harvest empty. She came back during harvest, and yet she was empty. So I think it's clear God would have taken care of Elimelech and his family if they had stayed in, a, in Israel, because we know that God always fulfills his promises. All right, are you okay? All right, we're almost there. Another thing that brings fulfillment in our life is when we consider it all joy. That's, that's an unpopular one. <laughs> right, and I have to ask my question, uh, question right here is, why in the world was Elimelech afraid of going hungry? I mean, we go hungry when we're empty. And emptiness often causes us to seek out the next big thing to bring us fulfillment, right? We are like, "Uh, when I get married, I'm going to be so fulfilled, right? Or when I have kids, it's going to bring me so much fulfillment in life. Or maybe when I get my dream house or when I get my dream job, or maybe for you it's even when I have the kind of influence I want, I'm going to be fulfilled. Or when I get the kind of recognition, recognition I know I deserve. That's going to bring me a lot of fulfillment. And um, so it's emptiness that causes us to search for change. I want to look at uh, Psalms 3, 48. Most of you know it by heart. It's, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, maybe it's in those dry times that God wants to revitalize our taste for Him where He's revitalizing our taste for His presence, and revitalizing our taste for our ability to trust in Him, and really weaning us off of being tempted or even dabbling in darkness and sin. And what does God say about facing trials and and temptations? Uh, this is. James 1 and 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And, you know, I, I don't want to be tested on this necessarily, but it looks like when troubles come, we should be going, woo I get to walk by faith and overcome one more time, <laughs> right? So, you know, I was listening to this a uh, message on, uh, that Bill Johnson was speaking on his times of trouble. And he said he was asking God about it. And he said God spoke to him and said, I want you to honor me by trusting in me in your day of trouble. And Bill said, you know what? He said, I do not want to misuse my moment. He said, "And instead, I'm going to declare the greatness of God as much as it might be in conflict to my fears, my ambitions, my disappointments, I'm going to give it all to the sovereignty of God and I am going to declare his goodness. And the darker the cloud, the more exuberant my praise. And I really took that to heart. And, you know, there's some keys that we can live by here that the key to mental health is to give thanks in every situation. And the key to emotional health is rejoicing always. And the key to heart health is to pray without ceasing. So I think Elimelech missed his moment to consider it all joy. So let's consider it all joy. Um, Another thing that brings us fulfillment is to let your light shine. And this one really goes hand in hand with that one. You know, Israel was experiencing darkness. And that feels like today. We're experiencing a lot of darkness. But we cannot forget that we are the light you know, he's called us to be the people of light, the children of the day in First Thessalonians. And um, I'm going to read from Matthew real quick. Let's see. Matthew. All right, Matthew 5. 14 and 16, says, you are the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And you know, God knew the pressures that we were going to face living in a dark time and what we might even call this perverse generation, right? But if he's going to give us a mandate, if he's going to require us to shine as a light into the world, he's going to give us the resources that we need in order to do it right. And that resource is his joy. His joy brings us perfect fulfillment. And you know, Jesus is our joy. John fifteen eleven says, I have told you this so that my joy in you will make your joy complete. Romans. I'm singing my Bible verses. Matthew Marley, John X Romans. <laughs> what Did you see me? Uh, Matthew Matthew Romans <laughs> Romans fifteen thirteen says the May the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, Paul's solution to us not growing dim was to rejoice. And then after that, it was to rejoice some more. I think of that song, Rejoice in the Lord Always. And y'all remember it? Again, I say Rejoice. And it was like the first time we ever got to raise our hands in church because it was orchestrated. Rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice, rejoice. Do you remember? And again I say rejoice. I won't ever forget it. So when you're feeling your lights go dim, rejoice. And then rejoice some more. And, you know, there's something in our praise that brings the glory of God into our lives that burns out any trace of darkness. And joy, really joy is a lifestyle of being exceedingly glad according to the power working within us. It's a supernatural source on the inside of us that's to be tapped into. And when I'm not feeling fulfilled, there's a source of joy living on the inside of me that I can tap into. Nehemiah Eight ten, say it with me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm sorry, I confused you. So yeah, no, Nehemiah eight (laughs) ten. Let's say it again. The joy of the Lord is my strength, right? And you know, um, truthfully, if a person has no faith, they have no hope, and if they have no hope, they have no joy. If they have no joy, they have no strength. If they have no strength, they have no victory. If you have no victory. You're defeated. So we need the joy of the Lord to be our strength. And then Romans 14, 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Elimelech needed to think about this. It's not about our natural fulfillment, it's not about children, career. It's not natural eating and drinking fulfillment, but it is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? So we need to use his source of joy to shine bright in a dark world. And the last one, but not the least, because this is probably the most important, is we need to develop a craving for God's presence. Um, let's look at Psalm 16, 11. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I think it seems like Elimelech began to crave the darkness Because both of these lands were dark Israel was experiencing darkness It was only experiencing darkness But Moab was literally darkness and despair And did you know that we can be surrounded by darkness And it can cause us to begin to have an appetite for shadows And even though we are to be... um, that even though we belong to the light, we can succumb to our light being dim or being smothered or jaded in this society of darkness. Uh, Because, and this is a phrase I kind of live by, is that we crave what we feed. And what I mean by that, it's really any addiction. Let's say you live without sugar for a long time and then you eat something sweet. What happens? You start craving sweets, right? Because you fed it, you begin to crave what you feed. And I'll never, i remember the first time I ever ran a marathon, I, I scheduled it or I signed up for one that was a year out so that I would have nine months to a year to train. And I bought a book to kind of tell me, you know, how to increase my mileage. And you start out with like one mile and then you might do two and then maybe a mile and a half and you taper up and down and you increase your mileage. And so I was all excited about this marathon, and then I went out and I began to run every day, just a mile, just a mile and a half, just two miles. And I began to think, oh, my God, what have I done? Why did I sign up for 26.2 miles? I can't even finish two without dying. I'm never going to make it. And I dreaded it every day. It was just dragged myself out of bed. I just I, I just hated it. I couldn't stand it. But you know, the more that I persevered and I kept to the plan and I was faithful to it and I began to increase my mileage, it got a little easier. I got better at it. I I began to enjoy it. I began to look forward to it and believe it or not, eventually I began to crave running because we crave what we feed. And I want to pose the question, are we craving his presence? You know, are we allowing, are we spending so much time in his presence that we just can't get enough? That it's all we're ever longing for. And Elimelech, he was a man who allowed his life to, to uh, be dominated by doubt in an atmosphere of discouragement. And sometimes that's what we do as Christians, just like he did. We begin to hunger for foods that are outside of the country rather than being satisfied with his presence or being satisfied within his promise. And, you know, we fail to recognize why we're empty to begin with. And we think it's our problems, but it's not. It's literally a failure to enjoy God's presence. So. You know when, we know, when we neglect God's presence, we begin to tolerate unconfessed sins in our life. And that's what quenches and quelches the Holy Spirit within us. And that's when we begin to feel empty. We begin to feel sad. We experience this void and we just we stray over the boundaries. We wander outside of our inheritance. So I would just question, you know, we're living in this time, I guess is what I want to say. Let's see. Where, you know, right now it seems like there is a taste for darkness being cultivated in our society. And um, rather than a taste for God's presence, and to, to such a degree, people are even rewriting Scripture. Have you noticed? Rewriting Scripture to line up with their own narrative or even rewriting scripture to, um, to, you know, to line up with my own personal truth, right? Rather than the truth. I mean, we know Jesus is the, the truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus brings us perfect fulfillment. So really, just to kind of conclude the story of Elimelech, I think that trying to provide for himself and searching for fulfillment, Elimelech missed the provision of God. And he missed perfect fulfillment in his life. And God does have a new place. He has a new time for each and every one of us. And he's called us to life. He's called us to life fulfilled. But it is within his specific boundaries, within his promised land. And I want to leave you with a quote by Corey Ten Boone. She says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Love that. So let's trust God for our provision and for fulfillment in our lives. Amen. All right. I want y'all to go out feeling fulfilled today. Um, Let's go ahead and stand up. Stretch your legs. Bow your head. Thank you. (laughs) Let's just take a moment. I know y'all want to get to Mother's Day lunch, but let's just take a moment. Soak it all in. I felt like it was a lot. God's been talking to me. (laughs) I've been asking God questions. So I just want you to put your hand on your heart. Close your eyes. Take just just a minute. Because I know many of you are experiencing circumstances (laughs) Hmm. that you know are contradictory to what you know to be true in the kingdom. And I just want you to, whatever that situation, I want you to tell God all of the details and give His Spirit the opportunity to reveal the Father as your provider And, Father, we just thank you that you give us very specific directions, that you're a good shepherd and you lead us to good pastures. (laughs) Thank you that you give us opportunities filled with life. And um, we just thank you that you're our provider that knows how to restore and to redeem it all and to take everything full circle. And that as we get to know you, as we begin to crave for your presence more and more, and we get to know you in our place of need, that you're gonna develop that faith in us that is so rooted and grounded that when dark times come, when famine comes, we are never shaken, but we're gonna move mountains and give it all to you and to your glory. Um. Yeah. We just thank you for it. All right. What I want to do real quickly before we leave out of here you know, in the midst of opposition, our language always exposes our belief system, doesn't it? <laughs> so I want our message of kingdom to come from me whenever I'm facing resistance. So I want to leave out of here with some declarations this morning. Is that okay? So don't leave me hanging. Shout them out. You know I love declarations. And let's read these together. I'm going to look at here just in case mine are different. Well, here. Are right, you ready? One, two, three. I declare a total restoration for all the years that feel like they were not fruitful or when I made bad choices as I turn to you provider I ask you to restore my life in time as I thank you can't listen to you it's bothering me <laughs> it's running me off my rhythm I'm teasing I'm teasing let's do it together let's do it together next one all right is this the next one I declare that for every part of my destiny, there is a provision. There are actual resources for everything I am called to, and I release them now in the name of Jesus. I release finances, properties, skill, talent, social capital. Contractors, coaches, contracts, permits, anything that is needed for what I am called to, let it come forth in its time. Amen. I release, I declare that I am fully and wonderfully made by a provider who is my Father and that he has a perfect plan of provision so that everything he put inside of me can find its full expression and release in its time. In it, ah, and in eternity with him. Sorry. Is that the last one? Last one. I proclaim that I also am a provider and that my life will release great resources to the world around me. Amen. All right. So, Uh, I want to invite the prayer team up because if anyone needs prayer, I don't want you to leave out of here without being prayed for. Um, Next week, we're going to have some prophetic ministries. So come back and bring some friends. And ladies, don't forget to pick up a journal on your way out. And everyone have a happy Mother's Day.